Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Audio Media presents The Patron Saint of Suicides Created by Alex Dolan The footage hadn't been released to the press, and many people inside the police department didn't even know they had it. Gibson and Blossom sat close, side by side, as they watched. This was the first video footage the police had retrieved from any of the train incidents. Whoever was behind these killings, the perpetrators had made their first mistake, choosing a location where a camera caught the incident. The camera captured low-resolution black-and-white footage with no audio. In the frame, the tracks ran vertically like prison bars. As he and Gibson rewatched the footage, he felt the warmth of her next to him. From the left, a figure finally crawled into frame, literally. The man propelled himself forward on his hands and knees. He was large and muscular, but at the moment, he was almost immobile. As the ME reports confirmed, his Achilles tendons would have been severed by then. Blossom couldn't see Liston's face in the footage, even if the angle had permitted it. The camera wouldn't have provided the resolution to determine his expression, but Liston's body movement told the story. He had been broken, and his head sank in resignation. He moved slowly onto the tracks, pausing a few times from pain or fatigue. Each time he stopped, his head sagged. Maybe he shook from fear. Maybe he was sobbing. Then he appeared to look back to the left, in the direction where he'd come from, as if someone were there, just out of frame. Gibson and Blossom rewound the footage several times. Blossom guessed that someone off-camera, most likely the person responsible for cutting the boy's tendons, was issuing commands, spurring him forward, maybe with a gun or knife for motivation. Liston paused three more times. Then, Liston raised his knees over the rails, then his arms. Once situated between the rails, the young man collapsed, sensing his impending doom and refusing to participate in it. Liston pushed himself onto his knees, perhaps at someone's urging, and even in the pixelated blurs, they clearly saw him lift something to his ear. He was talking to someone on a phone. Soon after, lights started flashing, signaling the oncoming train. Liston stayed where he was, listening to his phone, his chin tilted upward. The mass of steel rushed into the frame and collided violently with him. Gibson had to slow down the footage so they could see what happened at the point of impact. Even then, Blossom could only watch twice. Gibson's gaze lingered on him. She looked at Blossom differently than usual, as though registering his pain and wanting to take it away. He stared at her too, wanting to take in something beautiful, to lift his eyes from the horror on the monitor. Before the moment passed, Zoe Gibson leaned over and tenderly kissed Victor Blossom on the lips. He didn't pull back. They were in a small, dark room, and not even Fennel was around to burst in on them. He craved this, and lost himself in the sensation of his lips against hers. I'm sorry. That shouldn't have happened. Sure it should have. I'm too old for you. 
You're not. I'm a geezer. You look young. It's dark in here. Don't talk like that. I know about your wife. If it's okay, I'd rather not talk about my wife. Sorry. Blossom wanted to say something to put her at ease, to let her know this was a momentary lapse for both of them, and that it would harmlessly pass. I just can't. I have to think of my son. Her smile vanished, and she looked back at the monitor, trying to pretend nothing happened. He went back to looking at the monitor, now only thinking of the warmth of the woman next to him and how uncomfortable it made him. The door opened, and they both jumped in their seats. He hadn't heard squeaky souls, but Blossom somehow expected to find Fennel staring down at them from his crutches. But it wasn't him. Instead, it was the patrolman. Detectives, someone's here to see you. I think you're going to want to talk to him. A few minutes later, they sat in an interrogation room, the same one where they had questioned Wesley Pope. Gibson and Blossom took one side of the table and left the other for a scared young man. He was medium height and skinny. His ID said he was 21, but he looked younger. He wore a black hoodie zipped open to reveal a faded black shirt with a white skull on his chest. Blossom's eye was drawn to the piercing in his lower lip. The young man's eyes darted everywhere but at them. They had bought him a Coke, but he refused to drink it. He didn't even pop the top. Blossom started the conversation with something light. He pointed at the skull. You shop vintage? This? Yeah, it's just the Punisher. What's your name? Are you recording me? Yes. A strange smell came off of him, as if he had been pickled in formaldehyde. A few scars, maybe knife wounds, showed on his forearms and the underside of his chin. Turo. Turo Torres. Turo had told the front desk that he had news about the March 25th shooting, but hadn't elaborated. How old are you, Turo? 21. For the record, I want you to acknowledge that you are not under arrest and not being detained. You came of your own free will. You are not in custody, and you're free anytime you want to go. Do you understand all that? Yeah. So you're sure you don't want a lawyer? We call that waiving your right to counsel. Do you understand that? Yeah. Do you want to talk to me or not? Fine. Let's get started. Can you tell us why you're here? I want protection. You said you had information for us about the incident on March 25th, 2015. Turo looked up at the cameras, aware that he was being filmed. I was there. Were you a passenger or were you part of the flash rob? I had a mask on. You were a robber? You can put it like that. Are you sure you don't want a lawyer? That's what I said. I need protection. From what? Haven't you heard? Someone's killing us. Why didn't you come forward sooner? And snitch. Why do you think I didn't come forward? No, I mean this month, after Kevin died. What took you so long after your friends started dying? Because I thought it was you. I thought the cops were picking us off. You don't think that anymore? Nah. Too messy, too public. Cops would just shoot us. This is something else. Someone made an example of those dudes. Do you have an idea who it is? Well, I, I thought it was other guys in the game, you know? An initiation. Uh, this wasn't no beat-in. Maybe it was a violation. Or someone decided to clean house to put the rest in check. I don't know why they're doing it. I just been keeping my head down and hoping they don't remember me. Then I figured out 
It wasn't no G. You don't think this is gang-related? Once they got sighted, I knew it couldn't be. He's too high up, people like him too much. Someone else is doing this, and it's not one of us. Any ideas who? <laughs> if I did, I wouldn't be here. Some psycho? Do you think it could be someone else associated with the robbery? I'm doubtful. I know most of these dudes. None of them's going Viggy on the rest of us. But I'll tell you this, it's someone who knows what's what. Because they cherry-picked all the right dudes. What do you mean? Everyone who's been killed, and I mean everyone. Kevin, Isaiah, Patrice, Sutton, Liston. They weren't just on the train. They were the ones with guns. However they're getting their intel, they're getting the right intel. They know who we are. Let's take a step back. Explain to us what happened that night. How did you wind up on that train? I was just a stupid thing. Jesus, it's not like it doesn't happen all the time. We rush in, grab stuff, and leave. It's no big thing. You take a phone, they'll get a new phone. They can afford it. You can afford one phone. You can afford a second. Move on. Should have just been that. Should have just been a goof in and out, and the thing was done. I never saw something like that happen. I'll tell you that. Guns? During a train rob? Shit. It wasn't right that it happened like that. But you brought a gun. You bring guns to scare people, not shoot people. Not for something like this. You said all the young men who have died recently, they all had guns. Yep. Uh, Kevin, Isaiah, Patrice, Sutton, and Liston. And you, too. That's why you need protection. Whoever's doing this is targeting shooters. Uh, that's the shape of it. Describe what happened. Take me through it. It was just a goof. It always is. No one really gets hurt. It's like this, right? We started at the party. What party? Just a house party. Where? Listen, I, I didn't have anything to do with this, but people went away to Disneyland or something and we threw a party while they were gone. It wasn't my party, it was just some house. And you got invited? Someone, someone told me about it. Maybe Kevin. How many people were there? A couple hundred? I don't know. It's not like I counted. Fair enough. In spite of everything, Blossom kind of liked Turo. He talks tough now, but he was trying too hard. And what Blossom liked was the vulnerability he sensed underneath all the posturing. There was a real kid underneath all of the bluster, and he was afraid for his life. How did you plan the robbery? <laughs> you act like we were robbing a casino or something. There was no plan. A bunch of people just said they wanted to head over to Bart. I went with them. It just happened. No planning? Look, it's not a hard thing. You get a bunch of dudes together and pick a place to go. Maybe someone tweets about it so we can get more people to show up. We get there, and there's someone who's a lookout. It's pretty easy to figure out when the train's coming. You've got apps that tell you, and you can hear the tracks when it pulls in. We jump the barriers. The people in the booth don't give a shit. Maybe someone shouts something, but no one's going to run us down. We run up to the platform. The train opens up. Someone holds the doors. You grab what you can, and you run down and pop the emergency exits. No one's chasing you. It's quick and easy, and no one gets hurt. So this just happened spontaneously? That's about it. Then who brought the masks? Someone had them at the party. I think it was Sutton. He had a backpack full of them, and he gave them out to us when we got to the station. We only put them on when the train was coming. 
You should have seen K.O., man. He couldn't see shit and he tripped when he hopped the barrier. K.O.? <laughs> Kevin, Kevin Ocampo. So Sutton bought the masks. Maybe. He had them with him at the station. I don't know if he bought them. It's not like I saw a receipt. If it wasn't planned, why did you bring a gun? Turo gave Blossom a look like he was stunned he had to explain this. In case some shit broke out at the party. How many people had guns that night? Just, just five of us, I think. But it was so crazy, it was hard to figure out who had the guns. I saw a few folks pull them out, and I figured stuff out after it happened. What went wrong on the train? Someone started shooting. Who? It wasn't one of us. We didn't shoot until the guy in the car pulled a gun, and the cops outside opened fire. Blossom didn't want to contradict someone in the middle of a confession, but he couldn't help himself. I don't think the cops were firing into the car. Yeah, you sure about that? According to ballistics reports, no one inside the car was hit by a cop's bullet. <laughs> I'll tell that to Patrice. Patrice Moody and Isaiah Bright fled the car and were running across the platform when they were shot. They picked the wrong exit route. Blossom immediately regretted his callousness. So they just shot them like pigeons flying off a wire? According to ballistics, Patrice and Isaiah were firing at the police when they were shot. They even killed a policeman. Well, I can't say it surprises me that the cops are siding with the cops. Just the way of the world, I guess. Let's forget about the cops for a minute. Was there anyone else on the train with a gun? Oh, there was someone else with a gun. We wouldn't have started shooting if he hadn't pulled it out. But he had to be a big man. Fucking mess. All because this dude had to be a big man. Do you remember anything about that man? Yeah, of course I do. You'd remember the guy who fucked up your life, right? All right. What did he look like? Can you guarantee my protection? Blossom couldn't offer guarantees and didn't like making promises he couldn't keep. You'll be safer with us than without us. He was a handsome dude dressed up in a suit. Maybe Mexican. He's with that lady who got hit. I heard she died. I felt bad about that. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow 
grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. I can't seem to reach Diego. I've tried calling and texting, but no luck. With some coaxing, Lynn gives me his address, an apartment at the foot of Lombard's Crooked Block. I never knew he lived that close to me. He didn't answer right away. After a few minutes of buzzing, he opened his window to see who was making the racket. When he saw it was me, he seemed to deflate. He disappeared back into his apartment. When I climb to his apartment, the door is open. I enter and it closes behind me. Diego's at the door. He's dressed down in a tank top and pajama bottoms, his black hair tussled. Without the suit jacket, he looks slight, gaunt even. Diego has been crying, and his large eyes have taken on an amphibious quality. I've never seen him like this. Haven. He actually scares me. His expression is desperate. I see more vulnerability than I've ever seen in him. I'm here. Where is Wesley? He's not going to make this easy for me. Don't worry about that for now. Why did you want to talk, Diego? It doesn't matter now, really. I'm scared. Because I hear the hints of finality in his voice. You really shouldn't have come. I'm here to talk. I don't want to talk anymore. Then why did you let me in? So you would stop ringing the bell? I approach him and his body stiffens. I feel awkward. We've never had a relationship, even a friendship, where there was touch. But I touch him now, holding his arms by the elbows. He bristles. This isn't how he's wanted to be touched by me. Maybe he feels like an object of pity, and that makes him more ashamed of himself. I drop my hands and give him some space. I take in my surroundings for the first time. The apartment is dark, except for a kitchen light and the street lights filtering in through the windows. Stark. Modern leather furniture around a television. How long have you lived here? A few months after it happened. I couldn't stay in our home when she wasn't there. I didn't take much of our old life with me. 
I think about my pull-out sofa at home. I can relate. I retreat further into his living room and try to put him at ease. I'm sorry I wasn't there before, but you were trying to tell me something. What did you want to tell me? So, the police dragged you in for questioning for these train killings? I guess so. You and Wesley both? Sure, rounded us both up. Did they split you up and question you separately? Sure, I, I guess. Do you know what Wesley told them? I, I haven't seen Wesley since we went in for questioning. I don't know what he told the police. It doesn't really matter. Sure it does. Are you under suspicion? I don't think so, no. He takes a few steps towards me, looking ghostly in the dim light. Are you sure? What are you trying to say? I'm willing to come forward and talk to the police. If it means saving you from suspicion. What are you talking about? They've connected these new train killings to us, to our group, haven't they? They've connected these new victims to the March 25th shooting, and it's bringing up the trauma all over again. You must feel it, right? Like you're reliving that night? Haven. I have something I need to confess. I've been... I've been feeling like this for a few months. And it gets worse the closer we get to the anniversary. But I want to share something with you. It's important. I feel like Diego might need serious help. And I wonder if Lynn would be a better person for this. But I'm here. And I want to be here for him. I want to listen, even if I'm not sure I can help him. Have you ever noticed that no one in group really cares about anyone else? I don't think that's true. Lynn cares. Lynn doesn't give a shit. I mean, she does, in some academic sense, but she's not living with this like the rest of us. She hasn't lost people the way we've lost people. Other people care. Everyone else in the group is there to put in their time and hope they feel better. No one really cares about anyone else. Do you notice that? They just want to make themselves feel better. Everyone except you, Haven. You actually care about people. You care about the rest of us. You're giving me way too much credit. Am I? Who's the one out there trying to save people from jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge? He sees my surprise. Yeah, I know about that. I know you sometimes give out your number to counsel people in your spare time. It doesn't mean I care more than other people in group. It just means I'm way more antsy with my free time. Don't do that. Don't... don't put yourself down. You punish yourself, Haven. I see how much you punish yourself. No one else in the group was traumatized the way we were. No one else lost people they loved. I know what that's like, and I know how much I hate myself for it. How much I blame myself for everything. You do that too. I can tell by the way you act, by the way you talk. It's survivor's guilt. We know what that feels like. Other people don't. Tell me, why do you think you walk the bridge every night? It's not every night. You know what I mean. I catch my breath. And then I do something I don't do with most people. I'm honest with him. 
I don't think it's just about the train, Diego. It's not just about Milo or Krish. It goes back to my dad. All of this probably goes back to my dad. I'm sorry you had to lose him. My dad didn't think he was loved or lovable. That's why he killed himself. My mom was emotionally distant, and I was just a kid. But if there was a way I could have shown him that he was loved, in a way that he could really believe, I think it might have made a difference. I think that's why I walk the bridge. I think you can pay back the gift of being loved by making others feel lovable. Do you feel loved? I think about the people in my life, my friendship with other comics, the fleeting connection with audiences, the folks in group, my mom, Wesley, sometimes, on a good day. You see? Do you think anyone else in group even thinks about this stuff? They're just hurt in different ways. Seriously? Paul got shot in the ass. Clementa just wants to be able to tell herself she's not a racist when she looks at the kids at her school. You really think they've suffered the same? You know what it's like to lose everything and to have to jumpstart your life again. And I see you, Haven. More than you think I do, I see you hate yourself. You hate yourself for being on that train that night. You blame yourself, you punish yourself, and that's why we're connected. I know the prison you've put yourself in because I've done the same thing. Diego walks into the kitchen. I don't follow. I'm afraid to see what he's doing. I want to tell you something. Because more than anyone else, you deserve to hear it. He comes back into the room holding a small paper bag in the other hand. I'm the reason that everything went to shit that night. Now who's blaming himself? Haven. I had this on the train that night. He pulls out a small silver pistol. The moment I see it, my heart seizes. I don't know if the mere sight of a gun is taking me back to the events of March 25th, or if seeing Diego holding a gun is making me play out the implications, but I'm paralyzed with fear. Diego stands between me and the front door. What are you doing with that, Diego? I bought it for protection. I grew up with guns in my family. You carried that with you on the train that night? Wait. You took that gun into a basketball game? VIP passes. You'd be surprised what they let slip at the checkpoint. Diego's eyes are watering with the admission. He doesn't want to talk about the gun so much as the woman he lost. Valeria was bleeding on the ground. She officially died in the hospital, but I saw the blood on her head and I knew she was hurt bad. So I drew. But the piece of shit in the mask, the one who killed my fiance, instead of putting his hands up or running away, he digs around in his pants and I see him draw too. I know he's looking for forgiveness in the retelling, making sure he shares the story in an I'm-not-all-that-bad kind of way. For a moment, I'm drawn back to the sound of that first shot. 
I remember how loud it sounded. I just wanted them to run out of the train and for everything to go back to normal. Me too. Me too. Only it didn't. They drew their guns. I saw unarmed people wrestling with the kids with the guns, and the kids with the guns just shooting the whole place up, aiming everywhere and nowhere. I dropped down to the floor and checked on Valeria. She was barely breathing. When I was down there, one of the stray bullets hit her in the ribs, and she didn't move. I knew it was over then. Then I got hit. A fist to my face, then a bullet in my shoulder. Point blank. I went into shock and I emptied the gun. I can't believe I lived through it. I don't know how to process this. The reflexive part of me wants to soothe him. To tell him he was just avenging his fiance. But I don't really believe that. He's confessed this to me to elicit some compassion. But I don't feel any compassion for him. This admission has hardened me. I'm seething. I'm not sure I understand. How did the police not find the gun on you? <laughs> they never searched me. I thought they would, but they didn't. They let me ride in the ambulance to the hospital, and I waited through the night until they told me Valeria couldn't be revived. I went through it all with the gun in a backpack. I had blood all over me from Valeria, maybe from other people too. I was probably in shock. Some nurse examined me, flashed some lights in my eyes, and had me rest in an exam room while I was waiting on news about Valeria. I was expecting a police officer to find me that night. Every day after, I was expecting someone to show up at my door, but they never did. No one saw you with a gun on the train? You didn't see me. I had my eyes closed. I saw you. You weren't that far away from me. You were hunched forward with Chris and Milo. Chris and Milo? You were maybe two seats down from me? I was? I couldn't forget it. Diego waves the gun about briefly pointing it in my direction, then at the ceiling, then back to the floor. I'm wary of the barrel. I thought someone would remember me. I've been waiting for two years. I thought either the police would have traced the gun somehow, or some witness would remember me. Maybe the police would find the shooters, and the shooters would identify me. Either no one remembered me, or they chose not to mention me to the police. No one ever came. I keep my eye on the gun. He's ignited my memories of March 25th, when I huddled in my seat as the gunfire exploded around me. When a bullet struck and nearly killed me. When bullets took my son. Diego was the catalyst for all of it. If he hadn't drawn his weapon, the thieves might just have left us alone. The robbers might have brought the guns, but they never would have fired if someone hadn't drawn on them. What fucking idiocy! I blame Diego for all of it. Diego must sense my disgust, because he speaks to the air. 
I don't expect you to forgive me. Then what do you want? I want you to understand. So you can stop punishing yourself. Nothing that night was in your control. You can blame me for pulling my gun, and you can blame those assholes for robbing the train in the first place. But you had no role in those events. And you need to stop blaming yourself. I think you're a good person. And you deserve happiness, Haven. Even if it's not with me. <laughs> Even if it's with Wesley. I don't laugh with him. And the smile disappears. I loved you. I didn't think I could love someone after Valeria. Fuck, I didn't think I should love someone after Valeria. But I did. Don't... Don't worry, I know you don't feel the same way, but I... I wanted you. I needed you to know how I felt. This emotional confession makes me queasier than anything else he's taught me. To profess his affection right after his confession? The emotional pivot seems monstrous. Never has a man felt more repulsive to me than Diego Quezada at this moment. Why now, Diego? Because I'm tired of living with this. It won't go away. It's been two years, and it still feels like it happened last night. Then, just when I thought I was starting to heal, in comes Wesley and sweeps you off your feet. And then there's everything that's happened with the police. I wanted to forget about the kids in the mask, but I can't. They're still here, in here. It just won't leave me alone. I can't sleep. I can't eat. So much death, Haven. I'll never escape it. It'll haunt me for the rest of my life. I know that now. Diego looks at his feet and then glances past me at the windows, where he can see the cars, even at this hour, snake down the contours of Lombard. Haven. If I were one of your jumpers, would you stop me? Knowing what you know. I don't want to answer his riddle. Giving him the ammunition to feel like a victim. Or the affirmation to feel like he's earned forgiveness. I give him nothing but a cold stare. He nods in resignation. That's what I thought. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.